0: learn to turn it on before I get up here one day. Let's pray. Lord God, as we come around your word this morning, may we be people with soft hearts. May we be a people that can focus in on on what you are saying to us through James' letter this morning. And, And Lord, I pray that your grace would be Um, the thing that we can focus on this morning. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Alright. Now, this is my disclaimer before I begin this morning. Um, Any reference to to fictional characters in my next illustration that reflects um, a certain circumstance or person in this church, it's it's not intended by me or the author. Um, it's purely coincidental. It might take a little bit to follow this morning. Gene is Larry's uncle, and he's a member of the building committee at the church. Now, Roy agreed to, to hire Larry to do some, some work on the new church building as a favour to Jean. Roy felt a need for, for more support on the building committee to get more projects across the line and in his battles with the rest of the building committee. So Gene was a logical choice as an ally. Jean said some things to Roy about Larry, who is, is 25. Remember, Larry was Jean's uh, nephew. He's 25 that, that he had never told Larry before. Gene said that Larry had been using his dad's divorce as an excuse to not go forward in his career. What he needs is a strong man to take him under his wing and help him grow up a little. After a few months, Gene feels that Roy is not living up to the expectations that he thought um, that would help out Larry. So Gene then starts to complain to, to Doris, his wife, about both Roy and Larry... Doris then begins to talk with Rita, Larry's mum, who um, then starts to see her son through the eyes of of other people. Rita is quick to blame Roy for the lack of drive that Larry has to go forward in his career. And and like I said, it it flavours her expectations of her son. After months of passive disagreement, Jean and Roy get into a huge argument over something small in, in, in the plans of the building committee, which results in Roy quitting his job as the project manager and he subsequently leaves the church. Might seem a little bit home and away-ish or, or days of our lives to you, but but this is kind of the, the same sort of analogy that James uses in, in his introduction to, to chapter 4. Just as he did in verse 13 last week in our passage, he introduces his topic with a question. He says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? As we continue through our, our um, series on James, Lessons of the Mature Disciple, um, we see that, that James goes from talking about the tongue and the damage that it can do to the subsequent conflicts that can be t- caused by not only our tongue but the passions of our... the war of our passions inside of us. Our selfish desires to be seen as as someone who is great or wise or, or just awesome in the eyes of men. He hasn't, focused, he hasn't changed his focus away from the teachers of the 12 tribes of the dispersion. Say that 12 times fast. He's still addressing the, the teachers of, of, the, of the 12 tribes and he's saying that their, their loose tongues is causing quarrels and fights among the church. It's creating communal chaos within the church. And he asks a question about the origin of the divisions, of the fights. He says, what causes these quarrels and fights? And he then follows it up with another question and he says, is it not that your passions are at war within you? It wouldn't matter whether James was being metaphorical about the... Um, the wars, the fights, the quarrels that are going on within the church or whether they were physical fights. He's just simply saying that the church is being selfish. There's people being selfish in their motives and actions and that's causing the fights and quarrels. And it's subsequently causing divisions in the church. James could be saying that the the fights among you could be within the church as a whole or it could be just a personal fight among you, as in among your members, among your body. Just like what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7 when he says that the battle that goes on between the flesh and the sinful desires and the, the desire to do godly things Or what he says in Galatians 5.17 For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. It could be possible to interpret this in both ways whether it's just a personal or a collective war that is going on among you. But I lean towards that it's a a collective, um, collective address here. James moves on and says that the results of the sinful desires within the church was fights, quarrels, envy. I would hope that it's a metaphorical murder that James is talking about here, but... He may be echoing the words of of Jesus when saying that even abusive or angry words towards your brother means that you are murdering that person. You see, even if we think thoughts that are are hate-filled towards other people, it's equivalent to murdering that person. You'll remember Pastor Duncan has used the the verse, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I want to go a little bit further in in that I want to try and say that out of the abundance of the thoughts of the mind, the heart speaks or the body acts. The entirety of that verse in, in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 6, verse 45 says... The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. You see, even if we're thinking things that are hate filled or hurtful towards others, it's a small step in the direction of acting those sort of things out. James presses on. The second part in his rhetorical debate this morning is that the church was coveting what others had. They didn't have these things because they didn't ask. They didn't receive these things because they asked with wrong motives. What are these things that James is talking about that the people are asking for and not receiving? Well, it's wisdom. Godly wisdom, godly perspective. Just like in in last week's passage, it was talking about godly wisdom that the people were chasing after, that they weren't chasing after godly wisdom. They were all about their earthly, unspiritual, demonic um, kind of wisdom. And so James is saying here that his audience is asking for wisdom, they may be asking for wisdom, but their motives for the asking of that wisdom is wrong. They are desiring to spend it on their passions. They are desiring to, to look great in the eyes of men. Their need for human appraisal was, was overshadowing their, um, their need for appraisal from God. It was overshadowing their, their desire for eternal wisdom and perspective. And that's the kind of wisdom that comes from God, as we heard about last week. They were kind of treating God like a genie. They were kind of treating God like a genie in the fact that they were asking for wisdom to look good in front of the eyes of men and saying, God, I'll ask this from you. If you give it to me, that'll be my wishes granted. So James says, you adulterous people. Don't you know that by doing this you are being hostile to God? James says that in verse 4. Their actions were causing them to be hostile to God. Hostile to God means at enmity with God, an enemy of God. Their motives were causing them to be enemies of God. And they were subsequently being lovers of this world. Lovers of the things that the world never promises on, like fame and fortune and popularity. James says that anyone who is a lover of this sort of thing cannot be a lover of God. Anyone who is searching after these things cannot have their attention divided. They cannot be searching after worldly things and searching after godly things at the same time. Either you are searching after God wholeheartedly or you are a friend of the world. There's no middle ground, there's no fifty shades of grey there. And this concept of having your attention not divided is not unfamiliar to Scripture. Being wholly focused on God is is not something that is unfamiliar to Scripture. Deuteronomy six five, when I say it you'll remember it. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Jesus' words in Matthew six twenty four says, No one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. James is saying here that we cannot serve our own selfish, sinful desires and still call ourselves people of God. We cannot be a lover of the world and the things that this world delivers and yet still call ourselves lovers of God. We will either love ourselves and not love God wholeheartedly well, the opposite of that is loving God and putting ourselves and our desires second by using the term adulterous people James is saying that those who are searching after things of this world are committing spiritual infidelity spiritual unfaithfulness Hosea is, is one of the books very few people read it's not one that comes up usually in your um, to read list. Sometimes, not everyone. But Hosea is full of life-like and lifestyle kind of analogies in terms of prophecy. Hosea wasn't called to to just preach and proclaim prophecy to to the people of Israel. He was he was asked to do some. Wacky things that proclaimed prophecy. In verse 2 of chapter 1, it says, When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Let's change the word there of whoredom to adultery. Go and take for yourself a wife of adultery and have children of adultery. For the land commits a great adultery by forsaking the Lord. This act in Hosea's life of taking back an adulterous wife was illustrating the characteristic of God in that he continued to take back the nation of Israel when they turned back to him even after their spiritual unfaithfulness. And this leads us into the next verse, verse 5. Or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? I did a Bible search in my, my software on my computer and I couldn't find this exact phrase anywhere else in Scripture. So I don't know what exactly James is saying here in the fact that it says in Scripture, not necessarily word for word, but the concept is there. The concept of of jealousy, the jealousy of God for his people. I want you to think, what is one of the reactions or emotions that, that the faithful person in an adulterous relationship experiences? Aside from anger and hurt and sadness, there's jealousy, isn't there? That's why James is saying that God yearns jealously over the spirit that he makes that he has made to dwell within us. James is saying that even though the people in his church are committing spiritual infidelity, spiritual adultery, God still yearns for their spirit that he has made to dwell within them. He still yearns for them to be faithful to him. And so James says that he gives more grace. Aren't you glad that he gives more grace? More grace to those that will recognise when they are being unfaithful and will turn back to God. James says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When I am proud, I am totally focused in on on myself. I'm saying, I'm great. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty proud of who I am. But when I'm humble, I, I say, there's nothing good in me. When we're proud, we're totally focused in on what I can do and what I'm all about and my needs, and rather than the needs of others. When we're humble, we say, there's nothing good in me except for the grace of God. I'm tossing up whether to use this next illustration, but Ben, can you stand up for me? (laughs) Nothing like embarrassing someone. Before before I explain what's going on, um, I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to. I don't want you to hurt me. Um, but and and be mindful. I've got to preach the, the rest of the sermon. I want you to punch me in the stomach. No, no, sit down. I I knew you wouldn't have the guts to follow it through. nor Nor that I would have the guts to follow it through too, but can you imagine if if Ben had punched me in the stomach this morning that 's a pretty horrible thing to do Ben <laughs> Justice is me dishing out some sort of punishment, punching Ben back in the stomach justice is is me calling the police and saying, Ben's assaulted me, even though I asked him to. (laughs) Mercy is Ben saying, Oh, look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to do that. And for me to then go, That's all right, you're forgiven. Let's forget it. But grace is something so much far greater grace is Ben coming and saying will you forgive me but then for me to give Ben a new car or a new house or a holiday home on the on the Gold Coast and do you see the, the link between what's, what I've just illustrated and what we have in Jesus we have grace we have grace that our punishment is, is gone because Jesus has taken it on himself. We have mercy in the fact that we don't receive the punishment we deserved, And yet grace is, is the fact that we didn't deserve to be forgiven. We certainly don't deserve to be children of God. Are there fights and quarrels among us as a church? Because if there is, there needs to be something done about it this morning. We are a church saved by grace. We're about to come around the communion table shortly and, and we're, we're going to come around the communion table as a church, as a family as brothers and sisters in Christ. And if there's anything that that is between anyone in the church, either within these walls this morning or without, outside of them, there needs to be something done about it, doesn't there? I'm not saying that we need to dredge up stuff from the past, from 10 or 20 years ago. But if there's anything unresolved... Needs to be resolved this morning. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24 says So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. this communion table is not an altar and we are not offering a sacrifice this morning because the sacrifice has been done once for all. So if you are coming to the communion table and remembering the offering, the gift that was offered for your sake and there remember that your brother has something against you Leave that communion table and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and remember the gift that was offered for you. Humility recognises and remembers when there's something wrong between brothers or sisters. And humility takes the first step. The person that that takes that humble step. They take that step towards reconciliation. Towards relationships being restored. Whereas pride says, it will be a cold day in hell before I make the first step towards reconciliation. Towards asking for forgiveness. Can you imagine if, if Jesus was like that? If he was unwilling to make the first step towards reconciling with, with us, people who didn't deserve his forgiveness. We wouldn't be here right now because there'd be nothing to come together for. So just as Christ has forgiven us, We need to be humble and gracious towards others and forgive others. Paul says in Ephesians 4.32 Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Folks, how can we possibly come together and remember the gift that was given to us by grace, if we're unwilling to extend that grace and forgiveness to others. What I want you to do this morning is, is have a think about if there is anything that is between yourself and someone else. If there is, don't, don't come to the communion table this morning. Do something about it right away whether that be in the church here or whether it's outside of the church. You need to be willing to be humble and make that first step towards reconciliation, just as Christ was humble to being, to, to making that first step towards us. So as the stewards come forward this morning... Um, If there's anything that needs to be sorted, that needs to be sorted through between a brother or a sister, I want to encourage you to do it this morning. I want you to have a little think about that. If by working through something this morning (coughs) means you miss out on tables of eight...